Don't forget that love's a game 
the sun catch you crying don't let the sun catch you crying Thank you. 
we come together this morning to remind one another to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives, to resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we claim for ourselves awareness and gratitude, taking the time to look into one another's faces and see their communion, the reflection of our own eyes. This hour of laughter and silence, memory and hope is hallowed by our presence. Come, let us worship together. The words of Kathleen McTeague. Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Church. I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here. I'm joined this morning by Associate Minister Bob Lavalli, Intern Minister Matt Pajacher Villarreal, our lay leader Judy Goring, DJ Arnie Gullared and a team of ushers, including Nancy, Christine, and Bill. We're so glad to be with you. And we have a very special service for you today. This is our 33rd annual eulogy service here at First U, in which we will be remembering notable people who died in the last year. So folks who died in 2021. Now, like 2020, 2021 was a year marked by an extraordinary number of deaths. And it'll take many kinds of services, many kinds of memorials to reckon with a scale of loss like that. Our annual eulogies service has always been dedicated to lifting up just a few from the many and doing so with a spirit of celebration. It's for lifting up a few whose lives may even have touched ours in some way, even though we probably never met them and we may not have heard their names before. Some of the people we'll remember today were well known but there are many famous names missing from this service. For example, Desmond Tutu, Bell Hooks, Vicente Fernandez, and Betty White have been well memorialized in the media already. So instead, most of the stories we'll tell today are of people whose lives had an outsized impact in some way, but who may have barely made it onto the public radar. Pioneers, scientists, heroes, culture makers, all were human beings just like us. Their legacies remind us of the power of a single life to touch others and of the interconnectedness of all people. We hope you enjoy hearing these eulogies as much as we've enjoyed researching and writing and singing about them. Now, if you're new today, if this is your first or second time visiting perhaps, I'd also like to invite you to put your name and location in the chat so that we can extend a special welcome just for you. And as we get going, Judy has an announcement to share. Good morning, everybody. Our announcement today is our congregation's annual meeting is today. Members in good standing will elect our church leaders, vote on our budget for this year, hear reports from our president and committee leaders, and vote for this year's change for the future recipients. The meeting takes place at 2 p.m. We encourage you to log in at 12.15 to hear about the many nonprofit organizations nominated for this year's Change for the Future. The meeting link for this informational session and the annual meeting is the same link you use for these Sunday services. We hope to see you there. Thank you. Our chalice lighting this morning, Open to Unexpected Answers by Julian Lepp. 
We seek our place in the world and the answer to our heart's deep questions. As we seek, may our hearts be open to unexpected answers. May the light of our chalice remind us that this is a community of warmth, of wisdom, and welcoming of multiple truths. Let's talk a little about meditation. You know, it's not that thinking is bad and non-thinking is good. True freedom is when we're equally content, no matter what arises in the mind. I describe this as a journey. In the early stages of our meditation practice, it's almost impossible for us to see a thought that we really like and be okay with it, and then see a thought that we really don't like and be equally okay with it. As beginners, we're going to experience some bias about our thoughts. But over time, we're steadily, slowly moving towards a place 
where we're not trying to quiet the mind. Instead, we're simply sitting to witness the mind. And over time, we get better at that. We become a little more patient. We're no longer projecting our idea about what we think meditation is onto the experience. Instead, we're simply witnessing the mind as it is. And because of that, we get more okay with a busy mind or quiet mind, with thoughts that are pleasant and thoughts that are unpleasant. We're no longer chasing after or holding on to some thoughts while running away or resisting other thoughts. That's a valuable part of meditation because it means that we can carry that into our everyday life. So if we can apply that quality of awareness and kindness to every moment, if we can experience those moments in a different way, then our life begins to change. So I invite you to find a comfortable seat. Hmm, take a deep breath. And let's meditate together for two minutes. Our church is a welcoming community where we find connection, a spiritual community where we find meaning. Our church is a sharing community where our joys are amplified, a caring community where our sorrows are lessened. We take this moment to offer and reflect on our joys and sorrows and acknowledge the mutual support of our community. Please type in the chat box, first your joys and then your sorrows. 
If you're unable to write in the chat box, please email the church at caring at uuabq.org. And may we remember those who have spoken, those they have named, and those we hold in silence in our hearts. This garden universe vibrates complete. Some get a sound so sweet. Vibrations reach on up to become light, and then through gamma and out of sight. Between the eyes and the ears there lie the sounds of color and the light of a sigh. And to hear the sun, what a thing to believe, that it's all around if we could but perceive. To know ultraviolet, infrared, and x-rays, beauty to find in so many ways. Two notes of the chord, that's our full scope. But to reach the chord is our life's hope. And to name the chord is important to some. So they give it a word, and the word is... Um.
all these joys and concerns, we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. Will you join me in prayer? In this time of conflict between countries and between neighbors, we remember the words of the late Sister Megan Rice, who passed in 2021. Sister Megan was an advocate for peace who was arrested for more than 40 times in her life, including for breaking into the nuclear security complex in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. She said that she did that at the age of 82. She said that we can all do something for peace. May her example remind us of her power. On this day of remembering those who have passed, we pray with the words of Judah Halevi. It is a fearful thing to love what death can touch, to love, to hope, to dream, oh, to lose. A thing for fools, this love, but a holy thing, to love what death can touch. May we see what's beautiful and holy in our communities. May we see what's beautiful and holy in each other. May we see what's beautiful and holy in ourselves. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. And also with you. The singer-songwriter of this next song is Alex Dobkin, a pioneer in the women's music movement. She got her start in the Greenwich Village folk scene, published the first album produced entirely by women, and was the first lesbian feminist to do a European concert tour. Dobkin wrote songs about and for the lesbian community, including this informative and humorous list of code phrases used for identifying members of the family. She's a BD, Baby Dyke. She's a PD, possible, probable. She's a DD, yeah, she's a definite dyke. She's a POU, positively one of us. She's got high LP, good potential. Suffering from PLT, pre-lesbian tension. It's a terrible thing to watch. She's a wannabe, a DOT. Well, if she can't be a dyke of today, she could be a dyke of tomorrow. Then she'll be a DIT, dyke in training, or an FDA, future dyke of America. She'll be a Betty, a friend of Dorothy. She'll be our kind, that's okay. Is she Lithuanian? I don't know. Is she Lebanese? Well, she's gifted. She's Lebesian, lesbonic. And I happen to know she's a vegetarian. She's a member of the team. She's a member of the lodge of the family. She's a member of the church, of the club, of the committee. And, she's, and she sings in the choir. Is she a lima bean from Kentucky? Or is she a green new bean? Or is she refried? Is she a canned bean in the closet? Or is she now with a man? And she's a has-been. She's a Frisbean in Fresno. In Lansing, 48912. She lives in Dyke Heights. 
She's an Arkansas earth knight, Motor City dykehead. Goes to the pagoda with the Chinese, you bet. She colors outside the lines in Charlotte. She's a lezo. Wee little lesbian. She's a big one. She's a bowler. She wears sensible shoes. Wee little lesbian code. DL and DR. Dyke to the left, dyke to the right. Wee little lesbian code. Now here's the nonverbal. There were many trailblazers for LGBTQIA plus and gender rights that were lost in 2021. To name a few, Madeline Davis, 80, was a founder of the Mattachine Society of the Niagara Frontier in 1970 and helped publish the first LGBTQIA plus rights magazine in Western New York. This combined with her advocacy work for gay rights at the New York State Capitol earned her a nomination to the 1972 Democratic National Convention as a delegate, the first openly lesbian delegate to a major national party convention. Davis spoke at the convention and delivered an impassioned speech late into the night, urging the party to adopt gay rights and marriage equality to the party's platform. Although her attempts at the 1972 DNC convention were unsuccessful, she would eventually live to see the Democratic Party finally adopt LGBTQIA plus rights into its platform 40 years later at its 2012 National Convention. Stu Rasmussen, 74, was a local movie theater owner who had already served two terms as mayor of Silverton, Oregon in the 1990s and served on the city council three times. But after coming out as transgender and transitioning when his second term ended, Stu, who used both he, him, and she, her pronouns, ran for mayor again and was elected in 2008, becoming the first openly transgender mayor of a U.S. city. Although Stu was unsuccessful in his attempts to run for both the Oregon State Senate and State House of Representatives, he was enthusiastically re-elected as mayor of Silverton, serving until 2015. Linda Lopez McAllister, 82, was a philosopher and academic who was a longtime faculty member of both the philosophy and women's studies departments at the University of South Florida and a tireless advocate for women in the field of philosophy. Originally born as Linda McAllister in Los Angeles, she changed her middle name to Lopez to reflect her Mexican heritage. A graduate of Barnard College, she joined USF as a professor of philosophy and campus dean, but was removed from her post after it was discovered that she was a lesbian. She was reinstated two years later and would go on to found the Society of Women Philosophers and was one of the editors of Hypatia, a journal of feminist philosophy. She and her wife, Sharon, would later become Albuquerque residents, where she also hosted a radio show for KUNM about one of her other passions, film criticism. And finally, Rabina Asti, 99. 
Born in Manhattan to an Italian-American family, she served as a pilot stationed at Midway Island during World War II and flew reconnaissance missions. After she returned to civilian life after the war, she came out as a transgender woman. She never considered herself an activist, but did not shy away from injustice when she saw it. She successfully petitioned the government to change the Federal Aviation Administration's policy requiring an internal physical exam in order to renew her pilot's license, and she and Lambda Legal successfully sued the Social Security Administration. After she was denied survivor benefits after the death of her husband in 2012. In addition to her trans rights advocacy, she continued to be an active flight instructor, including teaching a flying lesson at Riverside Municipal Airport in California seven months before her death, the oldest person ever to do so. James Hormel was the United States' first openly gay ambassador. When he was nominated by Bill Clinton, Hormel had already been openly gay for three decades. He had served as Dean of Students at the University of Chicago Law School, was the founding director of the City Club of San Francisco, and led the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, and served on the Board of Human Rights Campaign. Conservative legislators blocked his nomination, comparing gay people to kleptomaniacs. So James Hormel went and met with each of them one by one. He was eventually appointed two years later and served in that role for over a decade. Hormel was also the grandson of the founder of Hormel Foods, hence the spam can, and used his family fortune to fund organizations to fight AIDS and promote human rights. This is Sarah Weddington. She was a recent graduate of the University of Texas Law School at Austin in the 1960s when her friends, who had been helping other women find doctors who would perform abortions, asked her whether she thought they could be prosecuted as accomplices. Abortion was illegal at the time, but she wasn't sure about that part. She'd only worked on things like wills and uncontested divorces up until that point, but she cared about the issue. She herself had needed an abortion once and had to cross the border into Mexico to get it. Moreover, she'd known pregnant people who went to dangerous lengths to end a pregnancy when they couldn't safely do so. So she called up fellow graduate Linda Coffey who had more experience in this area of the law. It happened that Linda Coffey was working with a client who needed an abortion and she asked Sarah Weddington if she would like to work on the case with her saying that if a suit was filed, it would be a great deal more fun to have a partner to work with. Well, a suit was filed. That client became known as Jane Roe. And so it happened that Sarah Weddington was just 26 years old and still had never tried a legal case before when she and her colleague, Linda Coffey, went before the US Supreme Court to represent Jane Roe in Roe v. Wade in 1971. Afterward, while she waited for the court's decision, Weddington ran for and won a seat in Texas's House of Representatives. She went on to serve in Washington, D.C. as an assistant on women's issues during the Carter administration. Sarah Weddington's success came, at least partly, on the shoulders of the activist Patricia McGinnis. She began organizing for abortion rights at least a decade before Roe first forming groups in San Francisco and later founding the Association to Repeal Abortion Laws, ARAL, which was the precursor to NARAL. 
When she started out, it was illegal to even send abortion information through the mail. Yet she and a few friends not only maintained an underground list of abortion providers, they also led classes on DIY abortions for those who could not travel long distances to access one. She had been raised Roman Catholic, but turned to activism after a quote, buildup of rage at seeing the harm that came to women who were denied abortion care. Jakucho Satouchi was a woman and a Buddhist priest who was born in 1922 in Japan. Satouchi broke with convention when she left her husband and young child and took up with a younger man before going on to have a succession of lovers. Though she regretted leaving her child, she believed in sexual liberation and she wrote about sex and love throughout her life, including as an award-winning novelist. When she became a priest in midlife, she committed to celibacy, but she refused to give up meat and alcohol. She founded a temple in Kyoto and having studied literature in college, she went on to complete a modern translation of one of Japan's greatest classics, the tale of Genji when she was in her 70s and that sold 3.5 million copies. As a popular speaker, she brought an unabashed feminist lens to the work and she just kept on going. Well into her 90s, she founded an organization to help women facing domestic abuse. That's it for this portion of the eulogies for now, but we'll have more following the offertory. This community is our community. Its energy and resources are our energy and resources. We continually share its wealth. As we contribute to the strength of this community, we affirm our lives within it. Our Change for the Future recipient this month is Incentro, an organization dedicated to empowering Latinx immigrant families by providing them with educational and career opportunities. Incentro is seeding a future for the land of enchantment in which all our people can claim the innate right to live with dignity and contribute to the common good. You can make an offering online by clicking on a link that we'll put in the chat box. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church. Be sure to write change for the future on the memo line if that's where you'd like your offering to go. May there be an offering to sustain and grow the life and mission of this congregation. May we give in love and joy. Just a quick word of intro for our offertory song. Rastafarian musician Neville O'Reilly Livingston, known as Bunny Whaler or Jabi, was an original member of the Whalers with Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. In 2021, we also lost legendary, legendary reggae producer Lee Scratch Perry, pioneer of dub style of recording reggae music. Now we chose not to alter the patriarchal language of this song since it is integral to the Rastafari religion. And of course, it's pretty well balanced by our previous song by Alex Dobkin.
Thank you so much for your generosity on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of Encuentro. Our next eulogy is for Charles Mills, a pioneering race theorist. His book, The Racial Contract, argues that racism is a political system just as organized and coherent as liberal democracy. It is still widely read and was the subject of the Racial Contract Lecture Series organized by New Mexico Black Leadership Council last winter. Mills was born in London and raised in Jamaica. He studied and taught physics before moving to Canada where he earned a PhD in philosophy at the University of Toronto, where they were known for having a particularly exceptional program in Marxist philosophy. The racial contract draws parallels from work in feminist political theory, especially from Carol Pateman's book, The Sexual Contract, which Mills freely acknowledged. And it describes how America's social contract was designed and maintained to exclude people of color. Mills was still just a kid when up north in Atlanta, Lucille Times had an altercation with a bus driver. She was on her way to run an errand when she got into it with a bus driver who tried to run her off the road. As she drove away, he followed her. And after she parked, he came at her in the street. They started fighting, she bit him, and then a police officer hit her with his flashlight. She was so incensed, she, became a one, she began a one woman bus boycott, including offering rides to other people whenever she saw them at bus stops. The NAACP was aware, and when organizers felt the time was right, they planned an act of civil disobedience that would set off a larger action. That act was carried out by Rosa Parks who followed a pattern set by another woman, Martha White of Baton Rouge. Martha White who worked as a housekeeper was exhausted when she boarded a bus that had only one seat left, one marked for whites only. She took it and she was promptly thrown off the bus sparking other black residents to organize a citywide bus boycott. The boycott led to a partial desegregation of buses, inspiring the similar movement in Montgomery two and a half years later. Robert Paris Moses was a civil rights activist. He was a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee doing, doing voter registration in Mississippi during the 60s. And during that time, Moses faced nearly relentless violence and official intimidation and was beaten and arrested in Amite County in Mississippi. He was the first African-American to challenge white violence in the county, filing assault charges against his attacker. When the all-white jury acquitted the man, the judge told Mo Moses that he could not protect him and gave him an escort to the county line. Moses eventually moved to Canada and then Tanzania to avoid the Vietnam draft and only returned when President Jimmy Carter offered amnesty to draft resistors. At that point, he felt that education was the new frontier of civil, the civil rights struggle, and he used his MacArthur, MacArthur Genius Grant money to found the Algebra Project to help students of color improve in math. He was 86 when he passed in July. In 1985, two of Consuela Dotson Africa's daughters were killed when the city of Philadelphia bombed the MOVE building in West Philadelphia. The MOVE bombing occurred when police were attempting to evict, evict the members of the group from the building. The bomb started a fire, which the city let burn. The fire raged out of control and more than 60 buildings were destroyed 
in the predominantly black neighborhood. At the time of the bombing, Dotson Africa was in, was in a state prison for her involvement in a 1978 standoff with police that led to the death of a police officer. Dotson Africa was paroled in 1994 and continued to be an activist for racial justice and back to nature philosophies. She was 67 when she passed in June. Rennie Davis was one of the Chicago Seven activists who was tried for organizing an anti-Vietnam War protest outside the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, in which in this convention, thousands of people clashed with the police. He was found guilty, but that was overturned on appeal. His story doesn't end there. He briefly became a devotee of Indian guru Maharaj Ji, and he lived in several ashrams. Then he began a series of businesses and became a venture capitalist, making enough to own a mansion in Colorado before losing it and the rest of his business in bankruptcy. He began a third career as a New Age leader, founding the Foundation for a New Humanity and publishing books like The 13 Life Principles, Unlock Your Divine Human Potential. He was 80 when he passed in February. I had the good fortune once to have dinner with Max Cleland. Max Cleland lost three limbs to a hand grenade in Vietnam. Undaunted, he became the administrator of the Veterans Administration under Jimmy Carter and was Georgia Secretary of State for 14 years. He became a U.S. Senator in 1997. And although he was considered a moderate, he was staunchly pro-choice and pro-environment. Fearing that he would lose his re-election bid, he was one of the 29 Senate Democrats who backed the authorization to go to war in Iraq. He later called it the worst vote that he cast. In 2002, he ran against Republican Saxby Shambliss. Cleveland was leading in the polls when Shambliss ran in an attack ad that showed Cleveland's face morphing into Osama bin Laden's face and questioning Cleveland's patriotism. Cleveland lost. A point of clarification. Saxby Shambliss, during the Vietnam War, received student deferments and was also given a medical deferment for bad knees due to a football injury. Cleveland was 79 when he passed in November. If you know about the hole in the ozone layer, you can thank Paul J. Crutzen, a Dutch scientist who pioneered research on ozone depletion. He received the Nobel Prize for his work in atmospheric chemistry, specifically about ozone. He was also one of the people who coined the term the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is a geological age, like the Mesozoic Age or the Paleozoic Age. The root of the word, though, is anthro, meaning the age when human behavior had an impact on, the, or on Earth's atmosphere. Now, there are various assertions of the start date of the Anthropocene, but many believe that it was around 1780 when the steam engine was invented. Crutzen was also a leader in promoting the theory of nuclear winter. That is, that a, a nuclear war would disrupt the climate in ways that would make it impossible to farm enough food for the human race. Crutzen was 88 when he died in January of 2021. And now for the section we call rapid fire. 
Delia Fiallo was a Cuban-born novelist and screenwriter from Miami, Florida. Starting out writing contemporary romance novels, she became known as the mother of the telenovela. One of the stories she created was so popular that when the series went off the air in 1998, it caused an international incident that required the U.S. State Department to intervene. Maki Kaji was a college dropout who in 1980 started a quarterly puzzle magazine after failing at being a roadie, a waiter, and a construction worker. In 1984, he stumbled on the early forms of the Sudoku, Sudoku puzzle and invented the name, which is based on the phrase, numbers should be single in Japanese. But wait, there's more. Actually, that's a quote from Ron Popeil, the quintessential TV pitchman and inventor known to generations of viewers for hawking project products, including the Vegematic, the Pocket Fisherman, Mr. Microphone, the Showtime Rotisserie and Barbecue, and the Inside the Shell Egg Scrambler. In addition to, but wait, there's more, Popeil also coined the phrase, set it and forget it, thereby making himself pretty unforgettable. <laughs> Captain Sir Thomas More, popularly known as Captain Tom, became a viral sensation during lockdown in the UK after the 100-year-old World War II veteran announced that he was walking 100 lengths of his back garden, walker and all, to raise money for the National Health Service's COVID relief efforts. He became an inspiration to his fellow Britons who felt hopeless and powerless during lockdown, and who also donated to the charity, resulting in nearly $53 million raised for COVID relief. He also recorded a cover of You'll Never Walk Alone from Carousel as a charity single, which shot to number one, making him the oldest person to have a UK number one hit. Isamu Akasaki was a Japanese scientist who shared a Nobel Prize in physics for the invention of blue light-emitting diodes, or LEDs. This was a long-lasting, energy-efficient technology that was hailed for its potential to improve the light by which hundreds of millions of people live, study, and work. When asked about his work, he said, Initially, people said this research wouldn't be completed within the 20th century, so colleagues left, one after another. It never occurred to me to abandon it. I was just continuing what I wanted to do. It didn't matter to me whether I would succeed or fail. In 1959, Arlene Piper Stein ran the Pikes Peak Marathon in Colorado. Wearing white tennis shoes from a dime store, white shorts, and a white blouse tied in a knot in front, she ascended 8,000 feet to the 14,000 foot summit and then had to run back down again. An unbelievably hard marathon, but she completed it in just over nine hours. Then she went back to her life. It wasn't until 50 years later that she learned she had made history when a genealogist tracked her down and informed her that she was the first woman ever to complete a sanctioned marathon in the United States. Hyperstein was nearly 80 years old by then, and she was flabbergasted. In 2019, a group of women honored her by running the same race dressed all in white. You just never know what meaning your efforts may prove to have. It's a theme in all of these stories and in your story as well. 
And it's a great note to end all these eulogies on. We're approaching the end of the service. But before we end, I want to remind folks that there's the, if you would like to speak with your fellow congregants, just stay on the call until stay on the Zoom call until after the credits and you'll be placed in a breakout room. And while you're, whether you stay for that or not, I want to offer a discussion question. And that question is, what would you like to be remembered for? What would you like to be remembered for? And I want to remind folks again that at, starting at 1215, we'll be doing the change for the future candidates. You'll be able to meet them in the breakout rooms, same room as the worship service. And then we'll be having our annual meeting at 2 p.m. There's a lot going on. And Angela will, will bring us to the benediction and changing of the chalices. We are going to close this service with words of one more person whose life touched others and who passed away last year. John Shelby Spong was an Episcopal bishop who advocated for same-sex marriage and for the ordination of women. And he rejected the supernatural aspects of Christianity. Spong said, quote, the task of religion is not to turn us into proper believers. It is to deepen the personal within us, to embrace the power of life, to expand our consciousness in order that we might see things that eyes do not normally see. We hope this service has been in service to that great goal. Go in peace, friends, and let your life shine in good works.